0: And we have a community of hundreds of members and you are hearing these stories all the time of, oh my God, I just got my Amazon account shut down and I, I didn't do anything wrong, but like now my business is, is out of business and help, help, help. And you keep hearing these types of stories and that kind of also starts to fill your mind with <laughs> negative Nancy thoughts. And so like, and one day I picked up the phone and called a business broker. Who's a good friend of mine. I was like, I just want to sell everything. I got I just, I'm done. Like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to get out.
1: You're listening to the Ecom Exits Podcast with your host, Nate Ginsberg. Learn the best tips and tactics to improve profits, cash flow, and maximize your e-commerce business value on the way to a successful exit. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, podcast listeners. It's your host, Nate Ginsberg, joined today by Mike Jackness, founder of Terran, which is an e-commerce conglomerate. Uh, including one brand, Color It, that he has sold, which we will be diving into more shortly, as well as the Ecom Crew podcast and community. So Mike has and is doing a ton of great stuff in the space, uh, really plugged in uh, to others as well as with his own brand. So really excited to have him on the show. Mike, thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me come on. Looking forward to it.
1: Tell us a little bit about Taryn and you know, what you've got going on there and how some of that's structured.
0: Sure. Just like I guess everything else, there's a kind of a sequence of events that leads up to to where you are, right? And so we had gotten into e-commerce in 2012. We had purchased a domain name treadmill.com, just a park domain name. And before getting into e-commerce, I was an affiliate marketer. And so we were planning on using treadmill.com as an affiliate type site. And eventually, there's a lot of things that kind of led up to it. We decided we wanted to get into e-commerce and pick that as our first project and learned a lot through that process and ended up selling treadmill.com in January of 2015 and at that time yes. yeah thank you it was uh i mean it wasn't the biggest exit ever but it was it was good i'm glad that we we got out there was a bunch of reasons why i wanted to be be out of that business but i i really enjoyed e-commerce and i i knew at that juncture you we know, we're going to we're going to double down on e-commerce and that's when we formed Terran and went out and bought our first e-commerce business under that that brand or that umbrella. And I knew that it was gonna be a conglomerate that we were going to buy or start several e-commerce businesses and and run them all underneath of that brand. And around that same time is also when we started Ecom Crew. I was a member of e-commerce fuel and also starting to get just active in other parts of the community and realized that what we were doing, there was an appetite out there for consuming the knowledge that we had. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to document whatever I do along the way, good, bad, and indifferent. I'm a pretty open book and humble guy and self-patronizing and all these different things and self-deprecating, sorry. And, uh, you know, I was just like, let's just, let's just see what happens. And uh, that, that's kind of where we've been. so, yeah, uh, Taryn has been starting and uh, a bunch of different e-commerce businesses along the way. And as you kind of alluded to, we, we sold one of those brands in April of 2019.
1: And so you started, Taryn, with the idea was to have, I mean, a, a group of brands, like that was always kind of the strategy to have multiple brands and grow some, sell some, something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the original thought process was, quite frankly, that I was going to, to put all these different brands in this one umbrella and and sell it all at once. My My thought process was, when I'm when I'm done doing something, I'm just kind of done with it. And uh, that's what's happened in, in previous things that I've done was, you know, like I said, affiliate marketing and some other things that I've done. And it was just like, when I'm kind of done with an industry, I just, I'm like, you know what, like I'm ready to go do something else. And I thought that's how it was going to happen with with e-commerce, but, but things played out a little bit differently and we'll kind of get into this, but we didn't end up selling the whole thing together. Uh, I realized that there's just a lot of pitfalls and things that make it very difficult to try to do that uh, in e-commerce. You, and, you mean,
1: I mean, just to kind of uh, interject for a second. So when you say sell all together, the original plan was a roll-up?
0: Yeah. I mean, we're, my thought was we're going to sell Taryn. You know, it's like, we're going to, uh, someone's yeah. going to buy whatever the heck it is that we I mean, at the time that we sold color, we had four brands. We had the Ice Wraps brand, which we bought in January of 2015. And we had Color It, which we started from scratch and, late 2015 and also a brand called wild baby which was a baby brand that we have that we started in 2017 and we also in tactical.com and a tactical uh, gear brand which we started in 2018 and so you know my thought was like we're going to keep on adding brands and things to this bucket and one day I'm going to just sell the whole damn thing Mm. and you know it just it didn't end up working out that way which we'll kind Mm -hmm. of get into.
1: That was my thought process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, would love to hear more. So like what's changed?
0: E-commerce is just something that I had never done before. I had never done an inventory-based business. Even, even with Treadmill, it was a dropship site. And so it, wasn't, it didn't have the, the capital requirements that doing your own products requires. And the first year that we ran Taren, we did a million dollars. And then the next year we did two. And the next year we did four. And the next year we did eight. And then, then the following year we were on pace to do some low 10 figure number or, eight, you know, 12, 14 million, something like that. And it got to the point where I was just like, you know what, like we've been pushing this so hard and so fast. Um, we We elected not to take a salary because we wanted to keep all the money in the business to – to continue funding that growth and to fund 100% growth every year. Not only did like, did we not pay ourselves, we also had to take on debt to just be able to buy more inventory and keep on this pace. And at some point in, in 2018, I was just like, you know what? Like, this is really, first of all, just super intense. Like, we're, we're kind of playing uh, Press Your Luck. If you ever saw that game when you were, when I was a kid, it was a game you play Press Your Luck and every now and then a whammy would come up and I was worried about the whammy. And, you know, I had been through that before. It, it, you know, part of it when you're younger, you don't think that anything bad can happen. That's going to keep on going and going and going and going. And we had been through recession in the past and like government regulation coming out of nowhere and other things that had wrecked our businesses. And and the thing that I've learned over decades now of running businesses is that the thing that always wrecks them is out of my control. You know, things that I had nothing to do with. I don't have anything to do with, we're recording this story, the the COVID age. I had nothing to do with mm-hmm. this virus and couldn't plan for this. I, couldn't have, I had nothing to do with the financial crisis. I had nothing to do with uh, legislation that passed in the online poker industry. I was an affiliate in that industry. We were uh, an affiliate in the online degree space, which also had some regulation. All these things that happened to us were things that were completely out of our control. Someone else or something else made a decision for us and completely screwed us. And so you're making decisions in this vacuum of things that you can control, but often the thing that you can't control is the thing that, that really screws you and so it started th- those thoughts started creeping in my head like over and over again i was having a hard time sleeping and realizing that something that was out of my con- my control could cause the last four years of work to evaporate we would get nothing for it walk away literally with not only with zero but with a pile of debt that would put us in an upside down position and it was just going to be it could have been a really ugly situation and so mm. you know it, it, at some point you start thinking about I always come up with these analogies, but even, you know, I'm recording this from Las Vegas right now and even the casinos here when they are open, <laughs> they, they have a max bet. You know, you yeah. can, you can't walk into a casino and bet a billion dollars on a roulette spin. Like they, they have some, some limit, even though they're, they're going to win over time, they can't take any one bet that could like make them financially insolvent. And, and that's kind of where we were. Like I felt like every single day that went by, you know, we, we were going to win on of those, those days, but just like somebody in in Florida, like it's a beautiful place to live until it isn't one day when the hurricane blows through, or you know, same thing like in the in California, it's an absolutely amazing place until there's a fire or an earthquake that one day. You know, we weren't we weren't in a position to to ride out any type of disaster like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny now that we're recording this again during COVID. I look like a genius because <laughs> you know that that thing happened now, and but you know, I I wasn't I didn't think that COVID was going to happen. I was just worried about. Anything you know, picked from anything from above, and yeah. you know, did we time it perfectly? No, we sold a year too early, maybe, but you know it was it was time and okay and so
1: so so it was ultimately about just kind of having a little more of a protective moat financially around yourself and the businesses and not having all of your eggs tied up in this one opportunity i mean you you had multiple opportunities kind of you know within that Terran bucket, yeah. but instead of clumping them all together as one, you know, being able to you know spin off and, and sell some of those to, yeah, not be like all in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, by selling one of the brands off, it allowed us to pay off all of our debt as a business. We, we have no debt right now. It allowed us to put several hundred thousand dollars in the bank, you know, personally. Um, and it allowed us to become location independent again because we were able to, we, we sold the one business that was, keeping us in, the, in a warehouse and, and, and being stuck, you know, quote-unquote stuck in a in a job or in, a, in one location, which I'm not necessarily thrilled about. Like, I don't mind it, but it, uh, I also prefer to just be able to go where I want when I want. I think that after being an entrepreneur for 15, 20 years, you start to kind of just get used to those things. sure And it took a lot of stress off. It, it allowed me to spend more time with my family and my friends and focus on health a little bit more and just kind of... Mm-hmm hit the reset button a little bit. It produced a lot of really positive results.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, g- glad to hear that. What was that moment or what was it like when you kind of realized or decided that, you know, you wanted to sell one of these brands?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if there was a, an exact moment. It was kind of like accumulation of stress and, and things of that nature and just coming to a realization that it was time to make a change. And actually it was getting to the point where I was almost at a point where I was ready to have a nervous breakdown, which not typically that way, but I think stress manifests itself in different people, different ways at different times in your life. And uh, it just got to a point, you know, I think a lot because we run Ecom crew and we have a community of hundreds of members and you are hearing these stories all the time of, oh my God, I just got my Amazon account shut down and I I didn't do anything wrong, but like now my business is, is out of business and help, help, help. And you keep hearing these types of stories and that kind of also starts to fill your mind with <laughs> negative Nancy thoughts. And so like, and one day I picked up the phone and called a business broker. who's a good friend of mine. I was like, I just want to sell everything. I'm done. Like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to get out. And he talked me off the ledge and we started going through the business and deciding what was the most marketable asset and what was the best decision for us at the, at the time. And the clear so- answer was selling color
1: Okay. Well, I want to get back to that in a second. So, but for you though, it was like, you know, you have this, I mean, amazing, you know, business that's been growing in these different brands and, you know, the kind of the negative thoughts were just kind of building up and, you know, you have a community and you're involved in the community and kept seeing and hearing these different horror stories. And so then it it was, I mean, it sounds like at one point it just kind of like snapped, you know, and then was like, all right, I got to get out. Is that, I mean, was that kind of how it happened? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, understand that. I mean, you know, e commerce businesses obviously are very cash flow and capital intensive. A lot of the income from them for the owners comes from the exits. And so, uh, you know, growing businesses can be expensive and glamorous or, you know, look glamorous. But, uh, you know, the reality is the cash flow, even if you're doing millions of dollars in sales, it's not like you're often sitting on a pile of cash. So totally understand that. And you said
0: something there that's really important, which is, you know, in e-commerce, the way to really get the cash out is is by selling, right? Because it's not only you're getting the price of like three years, let's say future earnings, but you're also getting... All of your inventory money back, and you know, so there's there's a huge cash infusion that comes into you personally, which is very difficult to do uh, by operating the business, especially if you're stringing together years of uh, intense growth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- totally. I mean, you know, e-commerce growth is expensive. You know, if you're if you're growing really fast then like necessarily that is very expensive because you're, you know, more inventory, more sales, more inventory. When I sold my e-com business a couple of years ago as well, that was a big, you know, factor into my decision. The business had been growing and, you know, it was doing seven figures. My bank account hadn't been so much. And so yeah.
0: It's a unique uh, business. I, I kind of coined this saying for e-commerce, you can become a, a victim of your own success. And mm-hmm. it's, there's not a lot of other, at least business things that I've been involved in where- that's the case. I mean, typically if you're successful, everything's going right and there's money coming in. But like in in e-commerce, you can literally go bankrupt into into immense growth and success. You know, what other people would deem to be successful and become a victim of that if you aren't careful.
1: So, you made the decision that you wanted to have some exit. At first, you thought it was going to be, all right, you just wanted to be out. And then, you know, decided to eventually sell Colorit. So, can you kind of talk us through like what you know, how'd you make the decision to sell of the different brands or assets? Why why color it?
0: So, you know, once Joe, you know, the broker, my friend that, that helped me sell, um, kind of talked me off the ledge, <laughs> as I, w- I was saying, and we realized that color it was, was the best asset to sell at the time. And the reason for that, you know, it's while Baby and Tactical were newer brands and didn't really have as much history and as much profit, uh, Ice Wraps, which was the brand I really wanted to sell the most, had a couple exclusive relationships with some people that we were reselling for on Amazon they weren't going to let us transfer those relationships which was very unfortunate so it, it, that was kind of preventing us from selling that brand uh, at the multiple we wanted and color it was just it is and was this this great brand that just didn't really have any any negative you know storyline to it at all it was just everything was kind of positive and so that was that was the reason behind deciding to sell that particular brand. And then when we decided to do that, it just, you know, the downside that we had, things we had to overcome was we now had a co-mingled business, which is very difficult to sell an asset at all because, you know, it's like, wait a second, like what's your overhead and how are you attributing different expenses? Why is that expense going to to this brand and not to color it? And are you trying to play games here? And what employees am I going to get? And, you know, there's a lot of questions you have to answer that when things are separated, you don't have to answer Mm-hmm. Um, but we were luckily able to overcome that. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of things that helped us with that. Number one, we're really organized and uh, when it comes to financials and we had all of our invoices and ducks in a row and anything that, any question that came up, we already kind of anticipated it and answered before it was, was even asked, you know, it, like mm-hmm. in the pre-interview stage. And there's also, you know, the benefit of being somewhat of a public person you know like everyone kind of knows who i am i've been talking about this stuff for years all along the way people get to meet me and and just they know of me and i'm really delicate with my reputation i'm just making sure that i'm always doing right by people and even when it's not the best thing for me i i try to do the right thing and that i think also helped you know it helped Mm -hmm. us kind of get over some of these things that other people might have had a harder time uh you know, just kind of greasing the skids to get the deal through. Yeah, and
1: so, and we did. So what were some of these challenges that you had to face to list and to sell? And, you know, you mentioned being able to get the support of, of your community. And, uh, if you can dive into a little bit more, what, you know, anything that like almost would have stopped you from selling?
0: Yeah. I mean, the biggest things are going to be things like employees. And you know, so we had 13 employees working for Taren. And which one of those which of those employees are going to transfer, if any? Having those employees basically like commingled in the entire business before deciding to sell. And so like all thirteen people would touch color at some point and all of them would touch our other brands at some point. We just like whatever customer service agent like happened to get whatever ticket was available, for instance, at the time, they would they would do that. And so we had to separate things out. And we so we we started slowly reorganizing the business and saying these four people are color employees and these three people are ice wraps employees etc but of course that provides some tension it's like hey did you give me the four crappiest employees in your organization you got to answer some questions like that and again luckily because of reputation and other things we were able to to smooth that over i mean the answer was no we did not give our four worst employees we gave the four best employees really that were for the color brand and Things like that were were difficult. Then there's so, things like uh, overhead expenses. You know, if you have an office, what portion of the overhead are you going to assign to color it? and you have to kind of go through that and and justify that. And are there other SaaS apps or things that are commingled to being shared? And so we had to share our entire company's books along with color itself just to kind of to get some trust and make sure that we weren't doing those things. And and of course we weren't. But of course again, these are the things that. I would be asking if, if the situation returned the other way. And so you just got to make sure that you're very forthright and honest the entire step, every step of the way. So you don't get caught like in some web of lies or something when they start digging into the books.
1: Yeah, so that's, it's, it's interesting. I think, uh, I mean, I've interviewed, you know, different people on the show and, you know, just, you know, had, it's like not uncommon conversations around people that talk about, you know, commingled finances and how, if you want to sell, you got to get your finances straight and organized, but, but yeah I, I I think it's less talked about in it I, I guess it's more relevant when you have multiple brands like you did but how you uncomingle the team and the expenses and the overhead and I mean so that's stuff that at sellerplex we work with a lot of financials and do stuff of more often it's commingling between someone's personal expenses and their business expenses that have mm-hmm. to get commingled but you can imagine the challenge of you know, uncommingling everything, and so how did you break off color it on on its own?
0: Fortunately for us, again, as I kind of mentioned before, we were just really detail oriented oriented with our financials from from day one, and so we had already been in the process from day one of categorizing each brand within the structure at Heron, and so we already had independent financials for each brand. And so it really wasn't that difficult. Like we was, had already was, uh, was the
1: financials probably like the one piece that's would have been the most complicated or is the most complicated to untangle.
0: Absolutely, and luckily again for us, like I said, we we were just in a really good spot because we had already kind of had that really organized from from right from the beginning. You know, I I wanted it as a CEO to be able to look at and say, okay, which which one of these brands is making money and which one's losing money or how much, you know, let's look at, you know, each individual brand on a net profit percentage and make sure that we're, you know, allocating the proper amount of advertising to each, uh, each brand and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, there's going to be these quote unquote overhead expenses that we can't categorize to an individual brand, but we're going to try to keep that stuff to an absolute minimum. Um, and that's what we did. And so, you know, we might use something like, let's say like Arefs, which is a really popular SEO software, and that's 180 bucks a month. Well, what are we using that for? We're using it for all four brands. So we would take that and and split a quarter of that off and put it in, into each brand. And so we did things like that from, from day one and made it a lot easier to to justify our financials when it came time to sell.
1: Glad to hear your. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's no no coincidence that I've uh, had a lot of success with your brands as well. Glad to hear your attention to detail when it comes to profitability, because this is stuff that I know I see. Um, I'm sure you see as well with brands that you know that you work with of like the the lack of. Uh, actual understanding of your numbers, whether it's profit per skew, you know, taking into all expenses or just actual, you know, correct. It's like, it's different when you're using some different tools and you, a reasonable idea, but not exactly correct. It's shocking to me how many seven, multiple seven uh, figure businesses that, that I see that like, don't have that same understanding and knowledge about their business and where their profits coming from and where where their expenses are going. And and yeah, it's obviously super important. And so why for for, for some of those, uh, the listeners out there that might not be as, you know, as on top of this and not to, you know, beat a dead horse too much, but like, why was that so important to you?
0: Well, I think because I was that person you're describing when I was younger, right? I mean, when you get into entrepreneurship, you don't do it because you're excited to do accounting. That's like not the thing that you're looking forward to doing. You, you get an entrepreneurship because- a myriad of other reasons. You know, you you want to make money, or you want independence, or you love the thrill of the fight, type of thing. And I'm kind of in that group. I, I just really enjoy building things from scratch and and seeing it, it it grow and take off. Very few people like love the accounting portion of the business. Mm-hmm. And so when I you know first got started, quite frankly, I mean you know this is going back almost 20 years ago now. Didn't do any accounting throughout the year. You know, it's like I literally did nothing. Like I. Looked at my checking account balance, and if it was growing, I was doing well. If it was going down, I was doing bad. December rolled around; I had no financials. April rolled around; I was like, "Oh crap! I got to do my taxes, and now I got to go back and try to recreate this whole year all over again." And I don't even know what I did last week, let alone previous January. <laughs> uh, it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. Um, but I still did that for multiple years <laughs> because you know I was able to get away with it with the types of businesses I was running. Uh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, as we got into running a larger larger business I mean at our peak the last company we had before in the affiliate business we had 66 employees and we were doing well over ten million dollars in revenue a year you know at that stage at some point you just realize like you numbers are everything when you finally come to this realization you realize like how many stupid decisions how much money you wasted by not having this information and how valuable having the information becomes because you can make the right decisions so Very fortunate when I got into e-commerce, I knew I I had that baseline understanding of how how important that information was. And on top of it, I also realized before even buying the very first thing for for e-commerce, that this was going to be a a unique business to me in that I'm going to probably be showing a profit on paper, but have no money in the bank. So I can't be using the lick my finger and put it up in the air and look at my checking account balance and, and have a feel for how things are going. That just isn't going to work. And, you know, because I I also knew at some point I probably was going to have to take on debt or at least be funding the business, at least to start with, we put hundreds of thousands of dollars of our own money in it, kept on funding our business with more and more money. Am I just throwing money under the fire down the you know into this black hole or am I actually making money? Um, and am I paying taxes on money that I actually really am making? You know, like all these different things were I I, I kind of just could see that that was going to be be the case. So again, from day one, I was just like, we're going to have very tight accounting procedures here
1: mm. because
0: well, you know the unique challenges it presents.
1: I think you know, like like most people, myself included, when I was just kind of getting into business, it was very much bank account. Accounting, like, all right, like, (laughs) how much, how much money's there? You know, the bank accounts going up or down, or I mean, I remember when my business was growing, I was juggling all kinds of credit card this or that, and like, you know, it was it was was hard to keep track of like what the actual financials were, but like sales were growing, so I was happy. (laughs) You know, you you mentioned it was kind of like you know, I think it's a very it's a very mature or experienced entrepreneur move that like you know everyone that I know that's like, it's not their first business is make sure to actually know their numbers, know their profit, you know, know where their expenses are, have clean financials. Because everyone that's like gone through it with a business before, they, you know, they know how important it is and really how much of a pain in the ass it can be the other way if you need to like go back and get things cleaned up. You know, that's stuff that you know, we we work with businesses where like they wanna they wanna get ready to sell and sometimes we have to go through and redo like two years of financials because they hadn't been done completely or correctly. And like that's a pain. And and I'd guess for for those entrepreneurs, uh, you know, they they have a successful exit. The next business they start, they're gonna be on top of that stuff from the beginning. <laughs> and mm, so yeah. uh makes makes a lot of sense. So back to the, the color at sale and so you got it, you got it uncommingled. What what happened after that?
0: Yeah, I mean, once we had you know, a modified set of financials to present for for Color It. We did the pre-interview and just the the broker I went with, they have you go through a very lengthy like interview process and questionnaire. They call it a package basically. And and so uh, we put all that together and we put it up for sale in early January of 2019. And we had multiple offers within a few days, cash offers pick the one that we liked the best. And we were under LOI on February 5th. So it, it happened very quickly once we did put it up for sale.
1: Congrats again. And, you know, why do you think you sold so quickly?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think again, just all the things we talked about just being organized, et cetera, et cetera. But in addition to all that, you know, we had a really strong business. I mean, we had built a legitimate brand, you know, a coloring brand for adults I think you kind of know you're winning when your brand's being searched a lot on Google and Amazon Mm -hmm. and you know that data certainly shows up. So there was a lot of color-related searches. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Really strong repeat business, lifetime value of a customer continued to grow. We had a really big email list, had a great pipeline of new products. We had a really good balance between Amazon and Shopify sales. It wasn't you know 100% Amazon business. We had a lot of really great organic search rankings, mm-hmm. push crew lists, Facebook chat, uh, many many chat, uh, Facebook bot lists, basically tons of reviews, really great, uh, solid manufacturing relationships. Now this kind of goes on and on. It was like the kind of the dream business with a, a bow tie and a cherry on top. Mm-hmm. And those types of things don't come up very often. And so mm-hmm. when it did, there were multiple people that were that were very interested in it. And we had some... You know, pretty strict requirements that we were looking for in terms of an offer. We wanted an all-cash offer. We did not want to take payments on the purchase price of the business. We, we did finance the inventory, which I'm fine with. But I have this thing about um, someone paying me with my own money, basically, with with payments cool. for, for the type of business that we had. I mean, it's fine if you got a business that's got trouble or problems and you got to make some, some concessions. But in our case, I was like, no, we're, we want an all-cash offer. So, I mean, we're talking about a seven-figure offer that's going to uh, eliminate... A lot of the, the the pull out there, and we weren't SBA qualified because it was a uh, a mingle business. Yeah, but even still, I mean, there's the, you know at the time there's still a lot of money floating around out there, and because it's just this really strong business, it attracted multiple offers like really quickly. And so we we ended up going with the buyer that we thought would be the easiest transition because again we had sold multiple businesses in the past, and when you get a nightmare buyer, it can be a nightmare, <laughs> right? I mean to epic proportions. And we had been through that before. And so, you know, we were, luck- we, had- we were lucky to have the luxury of picking who we thought would be the easiest transition. And we were very lucky in that uh, not only did we have this theory of who we were picking, but like they turned out to be amazing and we become friends with them. And it was just this dream handoff process where it was super easy and nothing went wrong.
1: Great job uh, building all the assets, and it sounds like there was a lot of opportunity with the business still for the new buyer that made it such a such an attractive and you know fast acquisition. At that time, how were your sales distributed? Were they was this all on Amazon? Did you have some also broken up in, on Shopify or, or other channels?
0: It was two thirds Amazon, one third Shopify.
1: Okay. And so what worked to get the Shopify sales was it Facebook ads or
0: Yes, I mean it was a combination of really strong organic SEO search rankings. You know, I have an SEO and content marketing background. Mm-hmm. And so that was something we focused on from day 1 and you know, over time that finally pays off. And so we had pretty good built-in search traffic, organic uh, traffic coming every day. We we also ran tons of Facebook ads. I mean, that basically built the entire business. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't sell on Amazon, we would probably been able to sell twice or three times as much on our own website, but we pushed Amazon quite a bit right. just because of the economics of, of Amazon. So, but yeah, Facebook ads work particularly well for this niche. And it was one of the reasons why we decided we wanted to start in this niche to begin with. I think that being able to leverage Facebook ads is something that, you know, I look at as a data point of, am I going to be interested in buying or running a business? Cause it's oh, just so uh, powerful. And yeah, so, uh, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. I and
1: mean, and, and I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And so, and what showed you that this was a good opportunity with Facebook? Like, I guess, was this, did, you know, did you run some tests before kind of getting into the brand or like what kind of boxes did this tick that, you know, told you that, oh, this this would have a good, um, you know, be a good opportunity for for off Amazon?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, we came into this already at that point. We had millions of dollars in multiple years of e-commerce history and, and knowledge that we brought into that, that mm-hmm. thought process. But the bottom line, you know, for people listening out there kind of boil it down to something simple, there's two types, types of advertising. There's interruption based advertising, which, you know, what Facebook is and there's inten- intention based advertising and certain products work well with one or the other. Very rarely does it uh, work with both and in color it's case it's both, but interruption advertising is is going to be something where you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and you see an ad, it interrupts what you're doing. Are you going to buy it or not? And coloring products are like that, you know, perfect price point, spontaneous type purchase that makes a lot of sense. That would work well with with, with interruption type ads. Ice wraps brand, for instance, is something that would never work with that. You're not going to like stop and go, oh my God, there's that ice pack I've always wanted. It's so amazing. And so there's that component. And then there's also the component of, is there a, an audience that directly aligns with what it is that I'm looking to do? And so there's literally an audience on, on Facebook for coloring books. <laughs> and so, and it was a big one too, a big audience. And so I, I didn't have to even run any test. It was just like obvious that I can make a better product than what's out there, run some interruption type marketing ads for my $20 coloring book, spontaneous purchase price point, you know, perfect product for that. And have people have that, like, oh my God, I have to have this kind of feeling based on the type of ad we would run to them. If they're already raised their hand on Facebook and said, I like coloring, it just seemed like such a slam dunk. And so, I mean, we've replicated this in like the tactical space as well. There's direct audiences on Facebook for prepping, survivalism, hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, backpacking, all these different types of tactical type things. And so it becomes very easy to run ads to, that niche for the types of products that people spontaneously just have to have, a, you know, a gadget or a gizmo that appeals to, you know, the typical male that's in that, in that space. And so, you know, there wasn't really too much of jumping off the ledge in thought process of taking a chance for us to to go do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it certainly worked out quite well.
1: Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, ticked a lot of boxes of that you knew you were looking for, for a a product that would be able to have off Amazon success. And I think that, I mean, you know it clearly worked out well for you, but that's you know the way that you got to do it. And you know on the on the flip side, or things that don't usually work so well is you know when they're like, oh, I'm selling twelve dollar commoditized kitchen product. I'm like, oh, just like you know, sell it with Facebook ads. And It's like, well, right. you know, is that something that people are gonna care about? And are you gonna have enough margin to be able to you know acquire someone? Anyway, uh, clearly you guys you know uh, not not your first rodeo. So so approach that with a way that yeah led led to good success. And so so yeah, so back to then the um you know to the the exit, clearly it, it was successful. Sounds like you had a, a great outcome. Is there anything that you would have done differently now like having gone through that process?
0: Yeah, I mean definitely set each company up or set each brand up as its own company from, from day one <laughs> it was definitely the uh the lesson learned there. And so that's what we've done now, actually. We went back and having to, to, to deal with having to get everything out of the Amazon that wasn't color it and put it into another Amazon account was like the perfect time to deal with that. And so we created three new Amazon accounts and put the uh, Ice Wraps inventory in the Ice Wraps Amazon account and the wall Baby inventory in the wall Baby inventory account and the tactical stuff in the tactical account and made three LLCs and have now, we're now running them as three separate companies and generating financials independently for each company. And so, when we go to sell any of those three brands uh, or any future brand that will set up the exact same way, it'll get a higher multiple because Mm -hmm. there won't be any questions and it'll be SBA qualified. And, you know, we're not going to have to have to answer for what other employees or whatever, you know, other shared resources, blah, 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 do you have uh, in this business? Because there won't be any. Uh, We've Uh made a very clear delineation. Uh, with the exception of a manager that we have uh, in the Philippines office that, that does manage all, all the brands, uh, which we'll disclose, you know, clearly um, before we, we would sell. But besides that, it's it's very, it's very clean. You know, just take it all. You know, take the Amazon account. There's nothing to move around. Take all of the employees. They are all working for this brand. Just here they are and easily transfer over any other SaaS products and everything else that's already separated completely out. Uh, it, it'll be a lot easier. And so, yes, I wish we had done that. Uh, for color it, for sure. I mean, we would have definitely got a higher multiple. We would have had a, a larger buyer pool. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the, there's also advantages of having it all together. And realistically, if we didn't have it all together, we wouldn't have gone to the place that we were. So, I don't necessarily have regrets so much as that it became obvious that now was the time to to make it right moving forward.
1: Uh-huh. And so, so, when it comes to the I mean the the main things that people can keep in mind if they if they do have multiple brands they do want to be able to you know more easily break them off is going to be financials separate LLC separate Amazon account separate team I mean are those are those the main ones
0: Yeah I mean try to commingle resources as little as possible I mean there's some things you just can't avoid mm-hmm. uh, and people are pretty understanding of that but for the most part, every single thing. I mean, we have so few expenses running through our holding company now. Um mm-hmm. and we can show that even if we had to, uh, that it, it, it makes it very easy. And so we're we're very careful to like not have employee for company A do anything for company B. You know, we just we, we just treat it as if like that person didn't exist at all mm-hmm. in, in the world of company B. You know, and you just have to be disciplined to to run it that way.
1: Yeah. Makes uh makes makes a lot of sense. And then and then also uh you know something you you uh, mentioned a few times is about uh, being SBA qualified. And so mm-hmm. is that something that to be eligible, you having the separate business uh, allows you to, in order to be SBA qualified, does it need to be a separate LLC and bank account and, and all that kind of stuff?
0: Correct. Yeah. And it has to also be, I think more than two years old. Something. I think it might be one, or but maybe it's two. Something. Yeah. I don't yeah.
1: I know it's the, yeah, two years I'm, I'm familiar. And then, and I guess, and, I, and I've seen stuff of like, you know, things can't be quote co-mingled, but so basically, I mean, it needs to be a two-year-old separate LLC in order to qualify for SBA.
0: Exactly. And so we've kind of started that clock and we plan on, I mean, well, who knows where things are going now after COVID, but you know, mm. the plan was at that, at that two-year mark to be thinking about selling the That's business a- at, at that point.
1: Yeah, well, makes sense, and that was going to be the the next question of like, what are your plans for uh, Taryn?
0: Yeah, I mean, things don't always work out the way you you plan, but the the current thought process is to is to cycle a few businesses. I mean, I think that you know a couple of the the brands that we have are starting to hit maturity, and you, I, I I worry about businesses that have no place to go but down. And you start mm-hmm. looking at you know the thing ranks number one for every one of your keywords and all the products you have and. The only thing that can really happen is something bad, and so like why are you holding on to this? You know it's not going to last forever it's just a matter of if but you know not if but when and so we'll be looking to to be selling uh, and just unlock some more cash out of, out of our business and and cycling that into things i mean we've kind of realized that we have a knack for for buying struggling e commerce businesses or starting something in a in a niche that uh, is up and coming and helping that grow to a point where it becomes worth selling at that point and so and I also want to get into some stuff that I have more of a personal interest in you know one of the things I think that's been been a struggle to this point is there there isn't a single brand or thing that we've sold where I would be a customer of it that gets old after a while at some point it does become a thing I mean it running a business becomes more than just about making money you know so I'm looking at, at, at brands and things that I have more of a personal interest in now I, I have kind of put that thought process to the side a little bit right this minute when recording this in the midst of the COVID thing. And I think there's going to be some crazy fallout in e-commerce where you have really, really amazing e-commerce brands for sale at absolute fire sale prices because they got themselves in, you know, just in a financial pickle, kind of like where we would be if if this happened a year ago, uh, based on things I was talking to you about earlier. And, you know, we just had a great business. And, you know, if this happened a year ago, we would have been screwed. We wouldn't have had the the cash flow and the and the cash reserves to get to get us through months of being down seventy percent it wouldn't matter how many people we laid off or anything that we did would just the math wouldn't have been there we would have been just totally up the creek
1: yeah.
0: and I think that a lot of e-commerce businesses are in that in that position unfortunately I think that if you want to be competitive and you want to grow at the rate that people love to grow to high five their friends <laughs> um, you know you put yourself in an awkward position when things go south. Uh there's going to be a lot of people in that position I think. And so we're we're going to be buyers right now and and my you know appetite for for brands is 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 wider, right? I mean the things that, the niches I would be looking at is wider. I would be considering things that I don't give a crap about, mm-hmm. again, just because, you know, the opportunity is just too good. So, I mean, I would solve right. ballet issues right now if it came up. I mean, whatever it is, I, mean, I would, no matter how disinterested I am in it, if the right opportunity came along, I would definitely do it. And mm-hmm. we can get back to me getting into things that I have a personal interest in later. Now, you know, if we can find something that crosses off all those things, that would be great. But bakers can't be choosers.
1: Uh, moving forward in the next few months, you know, I'm more seriously considering, you know, doing some acquisitions and thinking about what opportunities might be available because I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, glad to hear that you guys made what looks like, you know, the amazing move looking back now <laughs> to free up some cash for you guys personally and for the business to be able to ride something like this out when far too many businesses are not in that same buffer financially. And, you know, that's going to lead to some tough situations and, mm-hmm. you know, therefore also opportunities if you can come in with cash and and unknown ways of how this can shake out, but hope that the fallout is, you know, on the, the lesser end of the spectrum. No choice but to do our best either way. <laughs> and, yeah. uh,
0: you know, we're recording this in mid-April and it looks like, you know, from all intents and purpose at this point that the human loss will be less than we expected, right? Which is, mm-hmm. is great. I and mean, That's amazing news. And it was looking pretty scary there for, for quite a while. But I think the the economic damage has already been done. There's going to be more economic damage to continue to be done because nothing's reopened quite yet. And that fallout and the feedback loop from that fallout, I think is going to be really severe. And so I think you're you're going to see some some years of of pain that might look a lot like two thousand and eight all over again, or maybe worse,
1: yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of those things that that you have done and are doing really being on top of your financials, which is stuff that I also you, you know this is stuff like i've been I've been doing some different uh you know covid crisis like action stuff for e commerce businesses, and like for all of them it's like you know, get on top of your number, know your numbers, do projections, be on top of this stuff so that you actually know what this new reality is and you know, for, for you and your business, whether it's good news or bad news, it's, it's important that you know it <laughs> um, right. so that you can make the best decisions, you know, with everything uh, considered.
0: I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs in e-commerce think they were making lots of money because their sales were X and they were continuing to go up. Uh, realize 12 to 18 plus months later that they were actually losing money. And so that's
1: why mm-hmm. it's so important. Right. Well, agreed and understood on that. And um, yeah, I want to be uh, respectful of your time though. Uh, a lot of these things I think could keep talking about for a while. For more sure. Than, yeah. You know, <laughs> such, such, Cool and, and, and fun stuff. And I'd like to ask our guests one final question is uh, what is your number one tip for entrepreneurs, e-commerce entrepreneurs that are looking to have a successful exit in their future?
0: Man, you put me on the spot here, but I would say the biggest tip, one of mm-hmm. the, the fa- my favorite sayings, my partner that I run e crew with coin is profits are vanity, or sorry, revenues are vanity and profits are sanity. You know the the vanity numbers, that that revenue number. Oh, I'm doing seven million dollars in sales, and you always talk about sales. It's always the number that throws around the entrepreneurial community. What's your sales? How much are you selling? No one ever asks like, what's your profit? which is really what we should be asking to as the barometer, because you know I could sell I could sell ten million dollars with the anything next year. like literally, give me something, whatever it is, anything, I can sell ten million dollars of it. Now I might lose five million dollars doing it but I can sell $10 million. Sales are actually quite easy Mm -hmm. if you ratchet up your head spend, right? So the the tricky part, the hard part is to run a profitable e-commerce business. And Mm -hmm. this is really, you know, appropriate for the question you answer, you're asked because that's the number that the exit's going to be based off of. You know, they don't give a living crap about your revenue number uh, for the most part. I mean, there's obviously exceptions to this for super high growth companies that are going to like a Procter & Gamble or something, They'll, they'll pay you a multiple revenue But in the real world, (laughs) the the vast majority of e-commerce transactions that are happening, buying and selling businesses are happening on a multiple of seller discretionary earnings, which is your net Mm -hmm. profit and adding back in any personal expenses and stuff back into the business. So, that's the number you should be looking at. Like, how Mm -hmm. much money are you actually making? And obviously, at the end of the day, that's why we really get into businesses to make money, pay your bills, have this lifestyle you want. And so, you know, I'd rather run a business that was doing $1 million in sales and a half a million dollars in profit than $10 million in sales and a half a million dollars in profit. Even though, you know, I might get more accolades from my peers, but saying I'm running a $10 million business, what really matters is is the profit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's stuff that, you know, we, we try to help or we do help other businesses with, you know, try to... Uh, help them to understand, you know, the, the importance of that. Yeah. You know, with regards to whether they want to exit or just to, to run a good business. And so totally agree with that. Great advice. Great chat. Thanks so much for sharing your experience. And uh, I know our listeners are getting a lot of value from, you know, hearing how you approach your business and and through your story. So to wrap up, if you can let the listeners know how they can find out more information about you or any of the stuff that you're up to. Ecom
0: Crew is really the best place to go. It's E C O M C R E W dot and Ecom Crew on iTunes or any of the other places you listen to your podcast, and also Ecom Crew on all the social handles. If you want to email me, it's support at ecomcrew and it'll make its way to me eventually. But uh, we have over 300 podcast episodes and tons of hundreds of written articles uh, on, on the blog as well. So that's the place to find out about all the things we're up to.
1: Very cool. Thank you for coming on and sharing. And uh, yeah, hope we get to link up somewhere in person when all this somewhat blown over.
0: <laughs> yeah, back when we can shake hands and give each other high fives again.
1: That's right. And uh, until <laughs> then, you know, stay safe, stay healthy and uh, stay in business.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. I <laughs> love it.
1: This has been the Ecom Exits Podcast with Nate Ginsberg. If you're enjoying the Ecom Exits podcast, show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help other smart entrepreneurs find us. We appreciate your support. We have a new episode every week on the Ecom Exits podcast. So, catch you next time.